Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. Join Grace and her guest of the week as they discuss lessons learned in the industry and explore unique insights into ethical growth. Hello and welcome back to Dentistry's Growing with Grace. I'm here today with my friend Sean and we are going to bring you some great information. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Grace, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, so if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about you and um, how you came to be an independent financial advisory firm. Sure. So uh, my name is Sean Terrell. I am based in West Des Moines, Iowa, and I am, as you mentioned, a financial advisor specifically for dentists. I own my own independent financial advisory firm called Dentist Exit Planning. I've been in the financial services industry about 10, 11 years now, since 2011. Started out working for an insurance company and stayed there for close to 10 years. And then a couple of years ago, just really started to see a divergence between how I wanted to work with clients and the planning that I wanted to do and sort of what the goals of the other company were. And like any business owner that's out on their own now, they just get to a, a point of of pain that they decide that they just want to go out and do it on their own, their own way. And so that's what I did a couple of years ago. And yeah, I work, I said with Dennis and more specifically, most of the dentists that I now work with are somewhere near the finish line of exiting clinical dentistry. So there's a lot of big decisions and things that got to get sorted out around that exit as Dennis transition from practicing to something else. And so that's what I help people with, uh, that transition and beyond, what that looks like for them. And uh, business ownership is so difficult as a dentist that everyone's going, maybe that's me, even though they might not really be there. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough career for sure. A rewarding, but tough career. So, you know, you've, you've been in this space for a long time. You've seen a lot of things change throughout the years, just, you know, in this dental space. I know that you, because you and I have talked, I know that you like to start um, from a high level perspective with these doctors. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and why that's so important? Sure. So yeah, any relationship or not any relationship, but a lot of times when I engage with a dentist for the first time, it starts with some sort of specific question about you know, should I do a Roth IRA conversion or how do I figure out when to take social security? And for me, in order to really help a dentist make an informed decision around that one particular area, we really have to back up and go way high level first. And I know it can be frustrating sometimes because people just want an answer, but really depending on where that dentist is trying to get, and that can be, you know, a huge variance of where what people want out of life and how their money fits into that, depending on that, that's really going to influence in a lot of ways, whatever that one particular issue that they're trying to get an answer to is or kind of how to solve that problem. So I, I don't know why I do, but I use a lot of travel analogies or aviation analogies. Sometimes it's a car, sometimes it's a plane. Um, and I always tell people that, you know, we don't, I'm in Iowa, so that's the central part of the United States. And we don't need to decide whether we want to go to New York or Florida or Washington, D.C. We just really need to get a sense first before we dive into things. Are you trying to go to the East Coast or are you trying to go to the West Coast? And we need a general sense of direction where we're trying to get. Then we start that journey and then we can course correct along the way as new information becomes available and sort of 
life unfolds. But I think it's really, really important for people to first sort of articulate where they're trying to get qualitatively and then, you know, kind of how their money fits into that. And that will give me a lot to go on to try to help them solve whatever problem or issue they're facing in a way that's going to leave them most satisfied with the outcome. Yeah, I like that. And I get that too. I'll have people call and be like, we want you to manage our social media. And I'm like, why? I'm like, tell me about that. And I know it's like, it seems like such a cut and dry thing. We want social media marketing, but if you go into social media marketing and you expect it to work the way that Google ads work, you're going to be disappointed. So why are we wanting this thing or asking about this thing? And how does that fit into the bigger picture of what are your goals? So I, I totally agree with starting high level and making sure that that you're taking into consideration what that individual is looking to accomplish and why they're looking to accomplish it so that you can advise them. And this is why advisors exist, right? Um, right. And already I'm thinking, you know, for you on your end, you're probably asking, well, who's your ideal patient? Because if it's somebody that's 68 and might want implants in the next five years, you're probably not going to use TikTok, right? Potentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm I, maybe no, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I'm thinking about but, my parents on TikTok and uh, yeah. But, but the strategy dictates, you know, it's, like, yeah, the goal dictated by. Yeah. Patient. Yeah. The goal needs to, the specific goal and expectations need to be set before you just jump into an action plan. You need to know where you're going. Um, right. And I think that's important. If, if that wasn't important, you can get all of your information from Facebook groups and from colleagues. And it's very important that you don't do that because we know that what works in one situation for one person doesn't directly apply to another person's individual circumstances and needs. So absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Um, and someone right now is going, Oh, you mean I can't just take what everyone says in, in Facebook and try to apply it? No, you should not. Um, so when, when dentists are thinking about exiting clinical dentistry, what are the things they need to really be thinking about? What are what are some questions they should be asking or things they should be considering? So I think it comes down to two really big things for a dentist that is exiting clinical. One, they have to figure out a way to transition from living on the income that they're producing from clinical dentistry and perhaps practice ownership to instead living off of their assets. And number two, Hopefully, they want to do that in a way that is going to generate the least amount of income tax possible as they transition to those different income sources. So I always use the expression, we want to pay the, the IRS everything that we owe legally, but we don't want to leave a tip. And so, again, it comes back to strategies, different ways to be as tax efficient and possible as you begin living off of assets instead of living off of your clinical and your practice owner income. And from there, it's, you know, it's similar to dentistry. It gets down into the different procedures that you do to do those things. I love that. I've never heard that before. And I absolutely love it that you don't need to tip the government. I think it's hilarious. Um, kind of going into that a little bit deeper, uh, what are some examples of the tax saving strategies that dentists can consider? So a very popular one right now, as we record this at the end of 2022, is something called Roth IRA conversions. And before I even get into that, I want to start 
maybe even follow my own advice that I gave a few minutes ago and start really, really high level. So taxes is probably the largest expense that anyone, let alone a dentist, is going to have throughout their retirement. And for a dentist, it's probably going to be a seven-figure bill in terms of the total amount of taxes that they're going to pay to the IRS throughout a 25 or a 30-year retirement. So you have to start with what are you solving for? And what are you trying to accomplish first? Because back to my point about Roth IRA conversions, Roth IRA conversions are a way to pay more in income tax today than you otherwise would have to in order to pay less later. So you're taking the total amount that you're going to pay over a 25 or a 30 year period, and you're lessening that total amount, even if it means you have to write a bigger check for 2022 or 2023 to the Internal Revenue Service. And that's not something that people immediately can wrap their mind around. But um, the reason it's a popular strategy right now to get a little bit technical here for a second is because there's something called the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was instituted, I don't know, five or six years ago. And it sunsets or expires at the end of 2025. And what that really means at a high level is taxes are going to go up absent any action from Congress between now and then. And so what if your income is the same today as it is three years from now, the amount of taxes are going to be higher. It's it's guaranteed as it stands right now. So there's some real strategy behind deliberately moving money from an account that it's not been taxed to making it taxed in order to pay less tax overall over the long term. That was a little bit convoluted. Did that makes sense to someone who doesn't uh, live and, and breathe it, I guess, every day? So I not only don't live it and breathe it, but I don't even touch it. My husband handles everything and it did make sense. So on a very, okay. on a very layman's attempt to, to, you know, reinstate that information, um, it sounds like there are some proactive things you can do now to shield some of that tax obligation that is coming down the pipeline 2025. Right. And qualify that by saying there are no guarantees. All we can do is make decisions based on the information that we have at this time. And things change, then we change. We just look at the rules of the game as they've been established by Congress and the IRS and figure out how can we play this game to the best of our advantage within those rules. Absolutely. And um Every business owner needs to know, especially dental practice owners, that um, advisors don't control things that they don't control. So they give you the best that they have to give you, and they take calculated risks, and they have a, a better or a more diverse frame of reference. So if you're talking to someone who's a financial advisor, they have many, many practice situations that they can gather trends and information to help you make these decisions. Whereas you may have your one practice or your two or even your five practices, it's not going to be the same sample size as, you know, what Sean may have from years of dealing with hundreds of different practices in different situations. So absolutely. Yeah. And I always tell people you can do it on your own and it can work out through if you start with enough money and <laughs> you spend a, a little amount of it. And you get a little bit luckier along the way. It definitely can work out. Uh, but I think there's a better probability of success or at least paying less in taxes um, if you have a qualified guide along for your journey. 
Um, so let's say I'm a dentist and I'm looking to kind of get out of clinical dentistry. What are some different income sources that you might be able to share with me that will help me in that, in that process of planning? Yep. So it really gets down to taking assets that you've built up throughout the last 20 or 30 years of your career in dentistry and figuring out how to generate cash flow or income off of those assets. So a big one will be most dentist practice owners have a 401k and maybe they have a, they've uh, built it into a profit sharing plan with that 401k, which allows them and a lot of times some of their family members to stuff and defer paying income tax on a large amount of the money that they generate every year. And that generally speaking is a good practice is a good strategy for a dentist that is in their higher earning years, meaning they're in the 33 or 37% tax bracket. It probably makes sense to defer or not pay that income tax now to try to pay it later in a lower tax rate. Well, that kind of gets back to what we talked about earlier, but we also have to figure out, okay, if we have a million dollars in our 401k, what does that mean in terms of how can I take, how much of that can I take out every year or every month to support the lifestyle that I've become accustomed to uh, through the last 30 years practicing as a dentist. So uh, the 401k and, and there's a big one and any other IRAs that anyone has contributed to outside of a qualified 401k along the way. A lot of times dentists will have taxable accounts, which are just investment accounts that don't have some of the tax qualified tax treatments that are available through IRAs and 401ks. And then um, social security is another big one. I know a lot of dentists aren't They've paid in all these years and they're maybe not counting on that, but I believe social security will be there in the future. And Hey, we paid into it. We might as well try to maximize that as much as we can. And then real estate's another big one that uh, can produce cash flow for, for dentists in retirement. Maybe they own their practice real estate. They want to sell their, their practice, but hang on to the building or the piece of land that it sits on to generate cash flow if their buyer lets them do it. Or maybe they have uh, other residential or commercial real estate that they own as an asset, as a way to generate cash flow in retirement. So it really comes down to me sitting down with the dentist and sort of looking at what all those pieces are, figuring out what's the way to generate income streams or cash flow off of those that's going to meet their lifestyle obligations. And then how do we do that? Not leave the IRS a tip. Yeah. And a lot of dentists that I meet when they get towards that that part of their life and they're wanting to get out of clinical some maintain ownership for a while, so they'll they'll kind of run the operations, but they're not in the day-to-day, -day, so they kind of take a step back, or they have a kind of gradual plan to selling the practice sometimes. Um, others look to do consulting, go into, okay, how do I help these younger doctors not make all the mistakes that I made firsthand? Let's take all this experience and, and funnel it into something that's that's a little less taxing physically than clinical dentistry full time. And so do you see that? Do you see like the the pseudo retiree doctor? Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. So uh, what I built my original service model and probably what I've been talking about primarily uh, sort of the client dentist profile in mind is a dentist that's more near or at the what I would call traditional retirement age, let's just say age 65. Um, there is, I have learned specifically uh, in the last six months or so, there is a pretty big subset of practicing dentists that for whatever reason, through health, through burnout, through just wanting more free time, um, that are looking to exit or pull back from how much and how active they are clinically well before the quote unquote traditional retirement age. So that can be, to your point, 
you know, that might not be, that might mean doing nothing. That might mean working uh, less in the clinical practice. That might mean not practicing clinically at all, but still owning dental practice. That might be consulting. So I'm sort of in the process now of trying, of building out sort of a second service model for, for me and my clients that, and I don't know how viable it is yet, but there are a lot of big decisions that also go around that uh, decision to step away clinically well before you're 60 or 65. Yeah. Yeah. I like that plan personally. I think burnout happens in, in clinical dentistry quicker than people want to admit, and they don't know they have options, but they're really, the joy isn't there anymore. And I would just encourage anyone who's listening, if you've lost the joy, get creative about finding it because your team needs you to have that. Your patients need you to have that. And there are, there are different solutions for you as you, as you near that traditional retirement, um, you might want to do things differently. I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy being creative in my work environment. So uh, I always think about what I'm going to do in my next career and I'm 38. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So when we talk about taxes, I think I've heard you mention a lifetime tax bill. What does that mean? So, yeah, to sort of um, quantify that again, uh, that means the total amount of taxes that someone is going to pay for the rest of their life. So for, let's use really round numbers, a dentist that makes $100,000 in 2022, and that's probably on the low end of the spectrum, but I want to use round numbers, uh, you know, they might pay $25,000 to the IRS on that income in total, maybe state as well, depending on where they live. And if you took that 25, if they just made $100,000 or generated $100,000 off of their assets every year for the next 30 years, what's 25 times? Now I put myself in a corner on doing the math, but uh, <laughs> $750,000 that would come up to over a 30-year period. And through strategy and through planning, there is a way to still generate that $3 million of income, but pay less than $750,000 total over the rest of your lifetime or that next 30 years. Like maybe you can sand off the rough edges of that $750,000 and only pay $650,000 or $700,000. Now, that doesn't always look like a big number each and every year that you do that, but kind of with the, the, the big number at the end, you can see how sanding off the rough edges does get to a bigger number over a long period of time. Yeah. And you've been doing this a long time. You've been in this space a long time. You've helped a lot of doctors, um, especially when they're nearing this this time of exiting. Um, tell me a little bit, just for anyone who's listening, who might be interested in working with you, tell me a little bit about the mindsets or personalities of clients that you work really well with. So I have been called a straight shooter by multiple people throughout my life. That doesn't mean I'm I hope it doesn't mean that I'm a jerk, but sometimes I just find it easier to say things like it is. And I often tell clients when I work with them or I start to get to know them, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. I would rather just have the truth because then I can work with the truth. Whether you love me or you hate me or you love my idea or you hate my idea, it's so much easier that if you just say yes or no, or I don't understand, then... I met with somebody a couple of weeks ago that was interested in working together and they were all gung ho about it on the call. And now it's like crickets as I try to like schedule the next step and working together. And I'm kind of left wondering, 
you know, are, were you just saying yes? So you could get off the call and not make it awkward because to me, it's more awkward for me to have to send you three emails and, and ask like, what's going on. So I think it is being more honest and direct to save everyone time and over the long haul. So I'm really similar. Yeah. I, I like, so I think I used an acronym. I used the acronym D W Y S Y W D. And that's do what you said you would do. So people that do what they say they're going to do without, and look, I'm not looking for perfection. Things fall through the cracks. I have young kids. I, I've, I have a new appreciation for the mental load that parents carry with kids and how, how many things are getting juggled at any given time. But anyone that's been a business very long can immediately think of their, their clients that when you, when you agree on an action step and you follow up about it, it gets done. And there's not a lot of, you know, necessary follow-up phone calls, text, whatever, about where it's at in the process. And we can also think about people that it always takes, you know, all kinds of prodding and poking to get whatever, uh, whatever was agreed upon done. And yeah. it's just, to me, I'm just at a certain age and a certain point in my career, where I've just decided it's too exhausting to work with people like that if I can avoid them. Yeah. So decisive people who kind of have the, I, I guess boldness might not be the right word, but you got to know where they're at and where they're going. And um, when they make decisions, they kind of stick to them. And there's a confidence that comes in that. And I think you're in the right space because the longer you're in business, the quicker you should be at making decisions and sticking to what you say and, and having that confidence in leadership. I think if you were working in the startup space, you would find that it would be very frustrating because you're still unlearning what you've learned in dental school, which is that perfectionism, that over-deliberation, over kind of um, that slow-moving ability, that inability to move. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I can totally relate to what you're saying here. Um, and I think people appreciate knowing what they get. And I think being a straight shooter is important. I think we live too much in too much of an, an era where it's all about the sale. It's all about the clothes and it's less about actually serving people and just being honest with people. And when you get to that point where you just want honesty, you just want someone who knows what they're talking about and they're honest. Um, that's at the point where they should call you. So, which is why I love what you do with digital marketing, because it removes in a lot of cases that step, right? Like now through my podcast and through what I write and the things that I put out there, people get a pretty good sense of who I am and what it's like to work with me. If they sort of binge a little bit on some of the things I've done and what my website says I do, um, where in the process, like people just didn't know. So we've sort of if, if you're doing it right with digital marketing through content uh, marketing, um, it eliminates, hopefully for dentists too, right? Like who their ideal patient is, that's going to eliminate people calling if if that's not the patient profile that they necessarily are best at serving. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I like it. I think there's a lot of value in what you do. And if our listeners are interested in learning more, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So you can go to my website, which is dentistexit.com. Again, dentistexit.com. And from there, you can schedule an initial consultation. That's free. There's no charge for that. That's where we're having a conversation virtually about what your situation is and what you're trying to accomplish. And that's allowing us together to figure out if we're a good fit to potentially work together. For people that are listening that are 
thinking to themselves, this sounds interesting, but the timing is just not right for me now. Sort of the step below that is still go to that my website, dentistexit.com, and instead just sign up for my newsletter, um, which will be a pop-up within, I think, 10 or 15 seconds that allows you to put your email in there. And that's a good way to sort of stay in touch with me and what we're doing at our firm without me, without anyone bugging you. And then when the time is right for you, hopefully we're front of mind that you'll give us a call or shoot us an email. I love it. And I loved how you just explained your whole long-term sales funnel. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. So for those of you following along, join our Facebook group, Dentistry is Growing with Grace. We're going to keep bringing you great information, helping you to grow in your business leadership and grow in your practice. Um, also join our podcast, follow along. Again, Dentistry is Growing with Grace. And if you need help with your marketing, visit identitydental.com. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sean, for being here. Thank you, Grace. Really enjoyed it.